The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
in those days when Elijah in those days when Moses proclaimed to God's people the word they heard and the power of God went out from them Many years later, in the days of John the Baptist, he came preaching in the desert of Judea. His message was not, God loves you. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus began his ministry, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist came crying in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. This was typical of the Old Testament prophet. People came confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, his words were not soft. They were not Oh, God loves you. You're, you're select. You're special. Everything's going to be wonderful. No, his words were, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So very clearly, Jesus' message was to be one of fire. And Jesus' purpose in coming was to destroy the works of the devil, but it was also to gather his wheat, his souls, his precious people. Now, when we consider the day in which we live, what is our day like? Well, the Bible describes what our day would be prophetically. Chapter 3 of Second Timothy but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
I'm telling you now, we are in the last days. The judgment of God has already begun on America. America has murdered millions of babies. We have murdered millions of innocent civilians. We have become extremely corrupt in our government. Our finances are utterly corrupt. The lust is for darkness and evil. It gives me no pleasure to say this, but we are in a day very similar to the day of John the Baptist, when he came proclaiming, Repent. People will be lovers of themselves. This is verse 2, 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, it's going to be this description is those who call themselves Christians. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They say, the blood of Jesus cannot take away my sin. It cannot remove my sin. Forgive me, but I continue in my sin. A form of godliness, but denying its power. It is as it was in the days of Noah. It is that way today. Now, in the end of time, and that's where we're at, we're at the end of time. We find, let me read this to you. Let me read this. Revelation 13. I saw another beast coming out of the earth. That is, as we've shared this week, a power coming up out of the earth, out of a non-civilized um, place. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So he came looking like a lamb but became a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. Remember, there were three animals described. One was the dragon, which is Satan. And then there was a political power, a beast power. A beast power with, with great might. And then there was a third beast that came up out of the earth, which I believe is the United States of America. Verse 13, this is Revelation 13, verse 13. 
and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that he could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. So we're looking at some kind of technological ability, which is currently available, to mark every person in the world, to identify them, to be very clear about who they are. They are to be marked. So no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. We call that the mark of the beast. That if you don't sign on with him and give your worship to him, to the to the first beast, the devil, and to the second beast, the political power. If you don't do that, you will be killed. You won't be able to buy food. You won't be able to buy gasoline. You won't be able to rent a house. You won't be able to do anything. You'll be shut out of the economic system if you don't align yourself with the beast power. Now, then you come to Revelation, the 14th chapter. This is all preparatory to what I want to talk about today, which are the two witnesses. We have three messages coming via an angel flying in midair, preaching the eternal gospel. He was not preaching a gospel saying, God loves you. That's not what he was doing. He was coming preaching, repent. The first message, in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. We are currently in that time as the judgments of God begin to be poured out upon the earth. This coronavirus is a woe that has come as a judgment against the murder of babies in America and in the world. It's interesting to note that the places hardest hit are the places that push the hardest for Planned Parenthood, for abortion. A second angel comes, and he proclaims, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Well, that hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for that. It is coming, and I believe coming not in days, 
or weeks, but in the near future. Then there's a third angel that follows, and this deals specifically with the mark of the beast. He says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey the commandments of God and remain faithful to Jesus. It's obvious that this this great punishment from God is going to come on those who refuse to walk in the commandments of God and have not remained faithful to Jesus, but for their own security and their own well-being. They have transitioned And now they are serving the powers of darkness. Now we come to the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. And remember, I've said, I don't want to go into the details and the technicalities, but Revelation is a series of of plays, of acts in a play. So you can't go consecutively through this book. Pieces fit in in different places. But we have in the 11th chapter the two witnesses. These two, the olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. That's a direct reference back to Zechariah the fourth chapter, verses 6 and 7. So these two witnesses are directly empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are enabled to do many amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to come back into the first chapter of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, must what soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testified to everything he saw. That is, he testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that everything in the book of Revelation has to do specifically with the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the word of God. Remember, John is writing this, and he wrote in his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's saying that this book of Revelation is about Jesus 
and the testimony that Jesus bore for righteousness. Now, in the seven churches in the province of Asia, it begins, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That is the first principle, Jesus Christ. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this book is going to be about Jesus. I want you to notice that it now says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. That is, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is, who was, and who is to come? The Almighty. Now, before we go to our topic, let's just very quickly deal with this issue. Jesus comes and his first words to his church is, I love you. His first word to sinners is repent. He comes to those who have been freed from their sins by the blood of Jesus, and he says to them, I I love you. I love you. Now, because he is a God of love, he must come first to sinners and say, repent. Because if they don't repent, they are shut out of the kingdom of heaven. If they don't overcome their sin, and this is obvious in all of the letters to the churches, if they don't overcome their sin by the blood of Jesus, they will not hear the words, I love you. Because they must first hear, repent and turn from your wicked ways. Let that sink in a moment. And I want to come back now to the two witnesses. Who are they? Well, that's always the first question that is asked. And quite frankly, the Bible does not say who the two witnesses are. But with careful study of the Old Testament and understanding how God works, the two most likely candidates are Moses and Elijah. Moses is the law. Elijah, the prophets. So I suspect it will be Elijah and Moses, but I'm not going to argue with anyone about that. 
I've not found anyone yet who knows for certain who these two witnesses are. But what I do want to say is that these two witnesses come as a unified body. They do everything together. They walk together. They preach together. They are one unified front against the powers of darkness. Follow with me now. Verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Now, you're going to have a picture of these two witnesses who are coming to preach and to prophesy. Now, why are they coming at this stage? I believe they're coming in the timeline of Revelation, just before the final force or power comes from the beast that came up out of the earth to force everyone to receive the mark or be killed. They're coming at a crucial time, at the end of time, to give everyone one last warning about repentance. They've come at a time when it is crucial that every living human being on the earth make a decision about whom they will serve. This is going to go on for three and a half years. I don't know how deeply into that three and a half years this message comes, but I know for certain that this message comes as the Antichrist has established his power. And the beast power from the earth is now beginning to move into the forefront, riding on the beast as Mystery Babylon, as the wicked prostitute woman. And now comes the two witnesses, the two martyrs. The word witness in the Greek literally means martyr. In other words, a person who sacrifices his life for the message he's been given or the instruction for what he is to do. So these two witnesses, these two martyrs, are going to die for the message they've come to deliver. There are some similarities between Jesus and these two witnesses. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. God is so serious about this message that they are to deliver that if someone tries to stop them, they will be devoured by fire. Remember, Elijah knew about that when the army captain and his 50 men came and insulting, demanding, belittling, Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. And two companies of 50 men were consumed. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. 
These men have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. Now, that word prophesying is very interesting. It means two things. It means to forth-tell, that is, to review the review of current truth, and then to foretell. And I believe that these two men will come and they will do both of these two things. They will go back and review the history of the earth. And they will then begin to speak about and tell the world exactly what is going to happen and the coming of Jesus and the fiery pit of hell into which the devil will be cast with the ungodly and with the second beast. They are going to come and they are going to talk about and proclaim Israel's history. They are going to talk about what is to come. Now, if people stop listening to them, they can simply shut the sky up and say, there will be no more rain until you listen. I can guarantee you International television cameras will be on these two men and you will hear everything they're saying everywhere on the earth. It'll be the largest audience ever heard in the world. Now, there are those who come and say, no, these are not two literal men. These are two symbolic men. I don't think so. Some people want to say these men represent the church. I don't believe that. In every way possible, I take the words of Revelation in the simplest meaning that they can be given. And the simplest meaning is that these two men will come together and they will review Earth's history. They have the power to turn the water into blood. They have the power to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want to. Sounds like Moses, doesn't it? Hailstones, darkness, whatever they hear in the Spirit they are to do to keep people's attention sharply upon the word that they are speaking they will do that as often as they feel they need to do that. This is the final warning for earth. This is the last call. This is it. Now, this has not taken place yet, but you know when this happens that very soon after this call goes forth, Jesus will come in power and glory to close down this phase of earth's history and to usher in the thousand years of millennium where Jesus will rule the earth and the devil will be bound in the pit in the abyss. This is the time when Men will not be tempted, but will demonstrate in their own lives, in their own hearts, righteousness or wickedness. And these are the people who, living a thousand years, 
will rise up against the city of God and try to destroy it as Satan is loosed for a short time to lead evil men in opposition to the Lord God of heaven. Now I hope what you're hearing is a very stark and clean and non-compromising cutting through of the wickedness of America today and the wickedness of the world today. The Lord God of heaven is not going to compromise with darkness. He is coming to make a very clear division between those who have given up their sin and overcome by the power of the blood and those who have continued to walk in uncleanness. It looks like today we can walk in uncleanness and we have another day, and we do, by God's grace. But the day is coming when those who walk in wickedness will have a very sharp cut off. And if they continue, if you continue, you will die. Now, when they finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, which is where their Lord was crucified. In other words, these two prophets, these two witnesses, these two martyrs are going to be in Jerusalem. When I was in Jerusalem just a couple of years ago, I walked around and I prayed, Lord, where are your two witnesses going to stand? I suspect they're going to stand just outside the city gate to the old Jerusalem. I don't think they'll go to Mount of Olives. I think they'll be in Jerusalem. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overcome them and kill them. It's interesting to note that the Israelite guards could not shoot them. They could shoot a bazooka at them. They could do whatever they wanted to them. They could not touch these two prophets. And fire would go out from the mouths of these men and absolutely burn to death anyone who tried to harm them. It's going to be a non-stop spectacle for three and a half years. And when they're finished with their testimony, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl will have any excuse before the judgment bar of God. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The only way they could do that is 
be a televised account of what's happening in Jerusalem. (coughs) Pardon me. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe is past, and the third woe is coming. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, And there came flashes of lightning and rumbling peals of thunder of earthquake and great hailstorm. This is the coming of Jesus Christ. So the two witnesses come just as the Antichrist has arisen. He's to rule for three and a half years. So I'm suspecting these two prophets come at the beginning of his rule. And they know what he's going to do. And men everywhere now have a choice. Will you survive physically with food and water and supplies? Or will you follow Jesus Christ and be utterly cut off by the world, by the devil? What I want you to hear today is not who these two witnesses are. That's really immaterial. What I want you to hear is that God is going to give one final warning to earth before he comes in glory and judges the earth. And you have this opportunity. You have the opportunity to get right with Almighty God. But you need to do it now. Not sometime in the future. You need to do it now. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. 
Peter speaks about this in First Peter, the fourth chapter. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Well, what's this about suffering in your body? It is suffering to overcome. Jesus says in each of the churches of Revelation that if you overcome, I will give to you. Whether it's the white stone or whether it's I'll come in and eat with you. He says you have to overcome. That means there's a fight. There's a battle. There is a battle now that you're being called to engage in. And that battle is to cast yourself utterly, fully, and completely upon Jesus and trust him by the power of his blood to make you righteous by faith. But real faith, real righteousness, not phony, not make-believe. When Jesus looks at you, he's going to see you. And he's going to ask, what are your deeds? And you're going to be judged according to those. You're not saved by your deeds. You're saved by receiving by faith the righteousness of Jesus Christ in reality in your life. When you have gone through that, what Paul calls the crucifixion, when he says, I I am crucified with Christ, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. When you've gone through that crucifixion and you've been born from above, you're finished with sin. Now, if you're not finished with sin yet, you have either retreated and rebuilt what the Holy Spirit destroyed, or you have never been born of the Spirit. And you are lost. And the judgment is coming. Peter says, Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. For fornication. For all the things that a human heart can lust after. Power. Ambition. Money. Houses and cars, clothing, pride, bitterness and anger. All that the human heart sets up as its most beloved thing. He's saying you're not going to live your life like that any longer. But rather you're going to live your life for the will of God. From now on, everything about you is for Jesus. Everything about you is for the kingdom of heaven. He goes on. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery. And debauchery here simply means living in total excess. In lust, in drunkenness, in orgies, in carousing, detestable idolatry, putting everything ahead of Jesus. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation 
and they heap abuse on you. He's talking about, will you go along to be accepted and plunge into the strip club, the wicked, violent movies? Will you plunge into the professional sports, the gambling? Will you plunge with them into the dissipation? What he means is, everything that is of darkness draws your energy out of you. Everything that is of darkness dissipates or destroys your strength and your ability. Getting drunk. I spoke with a a Christian young woman. She's 20 years old. Her birthday is coming the 1st of May. And I said, how will you celebrate your birthday? And she smiled and she said, I'm going to celebrate my birthday birthday by getting drunk. Here's a young woman raised by a devoted Christian mother. But now she's free to choose to drink as she wants to because she is 21 years old. And so the way she wants to mark her birthday is by getting drunk. And of course, I rebuked her kindly, but I said, no, no, no. Don't do that. It will drain away your strength and your power to say no to wickedness, and you will lose your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been a Christian. You're a virgin. Don't cast away what's so precious before Jesus. She tolerantly listened to me because we're friends and then said, Pastor, I've had my heart set on getting drunk on my 21st birthday for a long time. Well, what she's saying is that she's going to plunge into dissipation which will be very destructive for her and which will be flat-out sin. Verse 5, But you will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. She will have to give account to God for her behavior, and it may cost her her salvation. Is it worth it? For this is the reason the gospel was preached. This is the reason. To turn people from their sin. I come day by day on this broadcast to turn you from your wickedness and to call you into this total giving over to Jesus. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithful, administering God's grace in its various forms. This is what God wants you to do. 
there are two witnesses who will die to proclaim this gospel. And they will have the ear of the entire world because they are going to confront the world with their wickedness. And they will be murdered because of that by the beast power. By this, by the devil, by the beast that comes out of the abyss. Well, we're about out of time today. I pray this has been helpful to you. I do want to say tomorrow is going to be a day where we are going to carefully look at Psalm 23. And then Friday is going to be a day of opening the broadcast and inviting you to come and pray. It's known as Good Friday. I pray you will come and open your hearts before God and cry aloud for America. God wants to heal America. I've been praying, fasting, saying, Lord, break this plague. Don't let it continue. But, oh, Lord, I can't ask you to break it and not first ask you to turn America in revival power to repent before you for their wickedness. Revival must come before this plague ends. I'm praying for you. I'm standing by faith for a great response to this message that many will hear it and say, okay, pastor's right. I'm tired of this wickedness. I want to get right with God. And I'm going to turn to him now. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to cry aloud. I'm going to name my sins. And I'm going to turn away from them by the power of the blood of Jesus. Now, I also need to speak very quickly about finances. I wish I didn't have to mention finances. And some of you have the capability to fund this broadcast. We're still about $500 short for the month of March because all who made the pledges have not yet sent them in. I've been going to the post office every day. I'm asking, are some of you in a place and have the ability to step in and help fund this broadcast? You're welcome to call me and talk about it. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you'll find all the information. We need to fund this broadcast. Right now, if it goes as it is, we'll be off the air, but I don't believe that. I believe God wants this message to go out in this city. And so I'm standing by faith that he will move in your heart and he will cause you to fulfill your pledge and even those beyond that who will step in and say, yes, we need to fund this broadcast. This is what America needs to hear. This is what Washington, D.C. needs to hear. If you're in a place where you can help, would you help? God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. 
I'll talk to you soon. Jesus Christ.